This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. I started here more years ago than I want to admit as an intern, and my guest today is a litigation fellow, somewhat of a legal intern. Welcome, Brittany Wright. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you. Brittany is a native Marylander, went to Hofstra University, and got her law degree from the University of Vermont. Yeah. Worked at Oceana, an international conservation organization. Yes, so they're the largest international nonprofit focused solely on ocean conservation work. We have two full-time attorneys here, both of whom started as legal fellows. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the Legal Fellows Program before we dive into our topic, which is going to be offshore drilling. Sure. So the Litigation Fellow position is a year-long position, and we kind of are a jack-of-all-trades. We're helping out the attorneys who work on land-use projects, who work on federal litigation, state litigation, and so really get to dive in on all the different aspects of the litigation team and the work that they do. And for those who aren't familiar, CBF has a full-time litigation program with a VP for litigation and four full-time attorneys and a uh, uh, executive assistant. Mm -hmm. And so it's a it's a team with a, a, a large portfolio, abroad uh, geographically and across very a number of disciplines. And we're delighted to have you here this year, Brittany. So Thanks. terrific. One of the things you've been working on of many yeah. is offshore oil and gas drilling. Yes. And that's a central topic for the Chesapeake Bay right now. Dive in. Sure. So I'm sure people are aware of the president's uh, plan to try and offer, open up more of the ocean to offshore oil and gas drilling. And so that all happens under a statute called the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. Uh, basically, the Department of the Interior is responsible for managing the land beneath the ocean from three miles out to 200 nautical miles. So that's a big piece of land, and they manage it just like the federal government manages land onshore. And so this process right now for planning for offshore oil and gas drilling is the secretary is responsible for developing a five-year plan that outlines where they're going to offer potential leases and when they're going to offer those leases. And so right now they're in the planning stage trying to figure out for the years 2019 to 2024 when and where they're going to offer leases for offshore oil and gas drilling. One of the reasons CBF is so interested and engaged in this issue is actually very basic to the definition of an estuary. And an estuary is where fresh water from the land meets salt water from the ocean. And I think most, if not all, of our listeners are aware of the watershed concept. We now define the bay as a system, six mm -hmm. states many of them having no riparian land on the bay. So it's the rivers and streams coming down from as far away as upstate New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Delaware, Virginia, and Maryland. But when you think about it, the ocean waters off the mouth of the bay are just as important to the overall system as the freshwater systems of the rivers and streams entering the bay. Right. And this drilling is positioned right in those offshore waters off the mouth of the Chesapeake, which are integral to the health and well-being and even the biological function of the Chesapeake Bay. Right. So 
as you just mentioned, the, the water from the ocean goes into the bay, goes back out. There are a lot of different species of fish and crab that spend part of their life in the bay, but then go out to the ocean and vice versa. So it really is all connected right there between the, the Virginia Beach area and then the um, the eastern side of Virginia, the mouth of the bay there. North Maryland. And the, off the, Maryland. Two, the, the two states, really the three, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, all have coastal right. land and all are, would be affected by this. And our sister, sister estuary, Delaware Bay, of course, would be as well. Right. I, I'm just going to give one statistic or, or one uh, example of how critical the ocean waters are, and then we're going to dive into the legal matters. Sure. Virtually 100% of the blue crab population actually spends part of its life off the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay mm -hmm. in the ocean when the blue crabs are in their larval stage. Mm -hmm. And they float within the top centimeter or two of the water column until they develop fins. They dive down and ride bottom currents back into the bay. But you think about that, one ill-timed oil spill uh, at the wrong time of year could wipe out an entire year class of blue crabs. And, and that's not rhetorical uh, or a scare tactic. That's just pure fact from the scientific community. So we've, we've established how important these waters are. Tell us what the legal uh, elements are of this decision as to whether or not offshore oil drilling and gas drilling will be permitted. Sure. So to get into the legal elements, we have to kind of explain this planning process because it is quite in-depth. I have a flow chart, which you all can't see here, but there's lots of boxes. There's lots of moving pieces. And we can put that on the website. Sure, sure. We can show you all that as well. But the, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, which is in the Department of the Interior, develops this five-year plan through a three-document process, essentially. They just finished the comment period for the draft proposed program, which essentially they look at all ocean waters. They put everything on the table in that plan. And under the um, Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, the way that they determine the timing and the location of potential lease sales is to look at a series of eight different factors. And those factors include the environmental conditions, the geological conditions of the ocean floor. They look at other uses of the seabed and the sea, so fishing, tourism, what other activity is happening in those ocean waters. They consider the um, the policies and state laws, the position that the state governors have with respect to offshore drilling. They look at the industry interests, so they look and see where industry wants to um, pursue exploration and drilling activities. And they look at the economic conditions of the oil and gas industry. Is there a need for it? Is there a, a national, regional energy market for more oil and gas production? So it's a series of eight different factors. The no one factor trumps another factor. The agency is supposed to do a balancing of these factors in the draft proposed program. And so after they do that, they put the program out for public comment, which they did in January, and the public comment period ended in early March. So now they are reviewing those comments, analyzing the, all the information that came back in to develop the second document, which is the proposed program. So this is kind of a winnowing process. If there are areas where after public comment they've realized there's 
no need to drill in this area. Maybe we want to pursue something else. They're all, they look at the different factors. The factors weigh against drilling in one area. They will take that area off the table in the proposed program. And historically, this is where the Atlantic has been taken off the table. So there's precedent for that happening here. And then there's another comment period where the public again can comment. And then the final document is the proposed final program, which after that's out, the document goes to Congress for approval, and then the program is finalized. And so that final program document will give the entire analysis of all the different factors, all of the environmental impacts, and outline when and where the different lease sales will occur over the next five-year period. So this is a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, stage one has been completed. Yes. A lot of public comment has been accepted. Mm-hmm. There'll be another step at which time more public comment can be presented. The first stage, there was some real criticism of the Department of Interior as to where they held the listening sessions or where they presented and took public comment. I know, for instance, in Virginia, it was in Richmond, not down in Hampton Roads, where mm-hmm. there's the perhaps the greatest interest along the coast. And so the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, just uh, a week or two before the end of the public comment period, held a forum with Old Dominion University. We had 500 people there. We had a panel discussion and got literally hundreds of comments from those in the audience into the federal, into the Department of Interior on on this. uh, And I think about 100% were opposed (laughs) to offshore drilling. So we're going to come back to um, what people can do if they're interested. But give us a sense of the time frame for the next stage and then the final stage. This this is not something that's going to happen tomorrow. No, it's not. Uh, Secretary Zinke has indicated that he thinks that the proposed program will be out this fall. So there's definitely a bit of time between now and then. Um, And then the comment period is a 90-day comment period once it comes out. So we're looking at towards the end of the year when folks would be able to submit comments again through the the public comment process. And then again, you would probably expect another few months for them to review the comments. So it probably wouldn't be until early 2019 when the program is finalized. You can't talk about offshore drilling on the Atlantic coast Mm -hmm. without talking about Florida. Right. (laughs) Which, when this all started, Florida uh, asked for an exemption, correct? Yes. Governor Scott of Florida asked President Trump for an exemption, uh, Secretary Zinke. I believe it was Secretary Zinke, not specifically Trump, but don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, the governors play an incredibly important role in this process. They have the opportunity towards the end of the process to, um, they review the do- the proposed program and they are allowed to submit comments to Secretary Zinke directly that the secretary has to respond to the governors. And there's um, another process under the Coastal Zone Management Act that the governors and the state has a lot of influence over what kind of activities can occur in coastal waters that would affect coastal resources. So governor's opinions really matter here and it's pretty incredible that both Governor Hogan and now uh, Governor Northam are adamantly opposed and have expressed that opposition to offshore drilling. Congress members as well should probably have a role to play. So those of our listeners who want to do something now, realizing that the first comment period is over, can still let their elected officials know and that should help influence the process? 
Yes, it does, because Congress ultimately has to approve the final program. So reaching out to your members of Congress, calling their offices, sending an email is a great way to stay engaged and let them know about the issues that you care about and let them know that their constituents are very opposed to this program. And letting Governor Hogan and Governor Northam know how important it is. Yes, that's another great avenue is to reach out to the governor's office as well. When I was about your age and started here at CBF, one of the first things I worked on was CBF's opposition to oil refineries, which there were a couple of proposals around the Bay at Hampton and Hampton Roads, Mm -hmm. on the Potomac, and even in Baltimore. And none of those were built. And I learned a lot about the fate of oil in an estuarine system. There was a very well utilized report. People can Google it and look at it called Petroleum in the Estuary from 1973 by Kurt Rose. Fully documents how an estuary is the most sensitive area uh, really on earth to the impacts of oil pollution and how it gets into the sediments, gets into the food chain, gets into the underwater grasses and marshlands. So This is clearly something that is of high priority to CBF. We've stated our absolute opposition to oil and gas drilling uh, off the coast. Uh, Brittany, as well as blue crabs using those waters off the mouth of the bay, uh, the military uses those waters extensively for training. Norfolk Mm -hmm. has the largest, Hampton Roads has the largest naval base in the world. Yes. Tell us a little bit about how the military uses those waters and what impact this might have on the military. So, as you said, Naval Station Norfolk is the largest Navy base in the world, and they use the waters of the Chesapeake Bay for a lot of readiness training. So they will do drills and training activities in the, the waters of the bay and the coastal waters off the coast of Virginia in order to keep our Navy up, up to speed and in top gear. And so having drilling ships going in and out of Norfolk, having oil rig pipelines, all of that infrastructure in an already incredibly busy port system would really impact the ability of the Navy to do its job. And uh, I, I think um, it's fair for me to say that under previous administrations, when this proposed drilling was considered, Uh, the Navy was uh, adamant in their concerns about how Mm -hmm. drilling would impact uh, their ability to do their job with their training. Uh, They're they're not being quite as uh, overtly uh, opposed now, but clearly there's real concern. You were instrumental in preparing a 31-page comment letter that is on our website if anybody wants to try and get sure. through 31 pages of detailed comments on this topic. It's an easy read. <laughs> easy read. <laughs> Keep it at your bedside table and yeah. help you. Uh, but one element we've not touched on is the National Environmental Policy Act, known as NEPA, really one of the first federal environmental laws in this country. Tell us a little bit about how that uh, impacts, how that relates to this issue. Sure. So while the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management is developing the five-year program documents, they are also simultaneously doing an environmental impact statement under NEPA. And so what that means is this is a separate document. And it's programmatic, which means that it's looking at environmental impacts across all of the planning areas under review. So it won't be just looking specifically at Maryland and Virginia, but at all of the Atlantic, all of the Gulf, all of the Pacific, and all of Alaska. 
And so in that document, the government has to analyze the environmental impacts of their proposed action, and it has to disclose those impacts to the public. So the NEPA process and the environmental impact statement is a really key way for the public to be involved in the environmental analysis that the government does and to know how these activities will impact our environment. And, and it, this is where the whole concept of global climate change a reliance on fossil fuels, the need to use more alternative energy sources comes into play. Yes. So we advocated for in our comment letter that BOEM should be looking at climate BOEM change. BOEM is the acronym yes, for the sorry. Bureau of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lawyer talk. Right. Uh, that BOEM should be looking at climate change impacts in this document, that this is the place to do it. They shouldn't wait until there's an actual lease sale on the table. They need to be looking at these impacts at a programmatic scale. And so one of the things that we pointed out in our letter is how severely impacted the Bay will be from climate change. We're already seeing sea level rise. We're already seeing acidification in ocean waters that we know is going to impact the estuary and waters of the Bay. Um, and so we kind of put all these impacts out on the table in our comment letter. But we also want the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management to think about how climate change would affect offshore oil and gas drilling. So that means how stronger storms are going to impact oil drilling rigs. We know from the experience in the Gulf that hurricanes completely shut down oil rigs when they blow through the Gulf of Mexico, and they can often shut down refineries. We saw when Hurricane Harvey hit and had all of that intense flooding, that onshore um, production activities had to be shut down even though offshore rigs were fine. And so we, in the East Coast, we don't necessarily get hurricanes as frequently, but we know that they happen. We just had four nor'easters in a matter of weeks, which is the equivalent of a hurricane. So BOEM should be looking at these climate change impacts in this document to see how adding more fossil fuels to the market, which will increase carbon dioxide, will affect the Bay, but also how climate change will affect oil and gas activity. The safety of oil and gas. The safety, yes, exactly. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brittany, very much. I have gotten a great education <laughs> on the federal oversight and what people can do. And just to repeat, uh, this is an issue that's going to be in the fore for the next several months. Mm -hmm. uh, we will cover it on our website. People can go there. People will know when the next round of public comment is open, but throughout the process, letting your elected officials know of your stand, your position on oil and gas drilling right off the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay would be very helpful to the process. Yes, it would. Brittany Wright, thank you very much. This is thank Will you. Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Remember, go to our website, cbf.org, to access back uh, issues of the podcast and tune in every two weeks for a new issue. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you.